This guy has got a poster for the 1995 Martin Scorsese Robert De Niro movie Casino hanging up on his wall. It's framed. What is up with that? Is Ron Howard friends with Martin Scorsese and Robert De Niro? Maybe it's a nod to Maybe. his mate. Maybe throughout all of their movies they leave <laughs> these little Easter eggs for each other. Do we have to go back through all of the cinema and discover this? Hello and welcome to the Big Film Buffet. I'm the Big Film Buff, Alexi Toliopoulos, and I would consider myself a great film lover. And I'm Susie Youssef, and I would consider myself a great lover of films. But you don't have to be a big film buff... Or a great lover... ...to enjoy the delights of this podcast. Each episode, we'll be sharing with you a three-course feast of movies inspired by the Netflix premiere film. This week, we're serving up a classic Aussie starter. And ending with a dessert so sweet, it will bring you to tears. But first, we'll dive into the deep south of the trailer for our main course, Hillbilly Elegy. I thought your mama was going to be all right. (laughs) Be happy. I know I could have done better. But you, you got to decide you want to be somebody or not. I've been doing real good. I just had a down month. I got an interview tomorrow, Mom. Otherwise, I... Oh, you know me. I always land on my feet. Don't look at that. Come on. Come on. Don't you look at me. You look at me. You let her get away with this every time. I told you that I would do better. You always say that. You're lying. I always try. You got to think about these kids. What do you think I've been thinking about since I was 18 years old, huh? Never had a life where I wasn't thinking about the kids. Do you actually want to be dead, Mom? Or are you just too lazy to try? Oh, I tried. Plenty. You've always got a reason. It's always someone else's fault. Some point, you're going to have to take responsibility, or someone else what? is going to have to step in. Who? Ha who? You? Oh, those trailer soundtracks get me every time. <laughs> you well up every single every time. Every time. I can't handle a cinematic trailer. <laughs> because it captures all the emotions in just a little bite-sized piece that is overwhelming. Yes, it does. We're looking at movies about families today on the podcast. Not to be confused with family movies. (laughs) Yeah, not usually the kind of thing you'd watch with your parents or your kids. No, because it's triggering. (laughs) (laughs) Anyone who has experienced any drama in their family, which is literally everyone, will probably be, like, confronted or feel seen or most likely triggered by movies about families. So my dad talks about when you watch a film that's really heartbreaking Mm. throughout the whole thing and then there's that little moment of respite at the end or a bit of joy at the end. (laughs) He calls it a Cinderella story and he's... He watches them, but he doesn't love them. He, like, pains his way through these movies. <laughs> he suffers. He really suffers for his movies. My dad loves movies so much. But every now and then I head home and mum and dad are watching a Hallmark movie oh. and I know what's happened and I'm like, Dad, what did you do? And he was like, it was too much. So he's watched a movie the night before that's killed him and now he has to get, like, just proper candy flour wow. just to, like, fix his heart. He's in recovery. Yeah, it's too confronting. He's that's too Salem's lot in life. But not all movies about families are dramas. There's obviously... Obviously, some brilliant comedies too. And the movie we're talking about, as our starters say, really does kind of play with those tropes in a very satirical and satisfying way. We're, of course, talking about the all-time Australian classic, The Castle. Dad, 4.50. But jousting sticks. Tell him he's dreaming. 
How much is a jousting stick worth, Dad? Well, it couldn't be more than two fifty. Depend on the condition. The Kerrigan family love their home, conveniently located next to the Melbourne airport. When the government plans to use their land for an airport expansion, Dale Kerrigan and his hapless attorney, Dennis Denudo, <laughs> prepare themselves for the fight of their lives. And it's terribly funny. It is terribly funny. It's one of my favourite comedy films. It's obviously a comedy take on movies about families. And it still remains really true to the crux of the genre. So it makes the small struggles of the family feel grand and it celebrates what makes families feel special, which is just seeing them warts and all. Truly. What this really does and why it's maintained this very powerful legacy is that it captures that Australian sense of humour. It's very dry. It's very proud. And it kind of like seeks the silver linings in things in almost like the opposite of a self-deprecating way where they celebrate the kind of quaintness of their existence. But it's like interpreted by the audience in a very ironic way. I think it absolutely captures kind of like what the national sense of humour is. Mm, Definitely. We're able to laugh at ourselves because we can see ourselves on screen. I maybe hadn't seen this movie in nearly 20 years. Wow. And I'm only 19 years old, so (laughs) it had been a while. Its reputation as like the great Australian classic comedy really does precede itself. So I had like this fear going back into it that maybe wouldn't live up to those expectations or almost like this negative feeling to it. But I have to say that in this instance, Daryl Kerrigan would have the opportunity to tell me that I'm dreaming because it is absolutely terrific. It totally holds up. It totally holds up and it predates so much of the vibe that indie comedy in the US and especially across the road in New Zealand would spend like the next two decades trying to capture and really running with. I think it's this era of Australian cinema that really was on the cutting edge of exactly this type of quirky dramedy that blends comedy and drama together that really captures this idea of a national identity through intimacy of unconditional love and support. Beautifully put, Alexi. Thank you so much. It's also a movie that has stakes. A lot of people talk about how the great films in history have high stakes. And I think even though this follows a simple story, the stakes in it are so high. And the cast... Obviously, Michael Caton and Antini are perfect. But for me, it's all about Tyriel Mora as Dennis Denudo, the hapless lawyer. Then there's Sophie Lee, who plays the beautiful Tracy Kerrigan, the sister of Dale, Mm. the lead character. And at the heart of the film is the beautiful Bud Tingwell, who plays the QC that comes to the rescue. Sorry. It's such a good performance. There's so many excellent performances in this movie. I personally got to give a huge shout out to Costas Kilios' Frook. I love him. (laughs) He's awesome. Heaven. I reckon you should make fake flowers. Oh, yeah. Jenny makes fake flowers. Jenny? Yeah. Jenny, Jenny? No, microwave Jenny. Uh. She reckons the trick is to make them real, but not too real, just real enough to know that they're fake. Stephen Curry's character, Dale, says it at the beginning of the film. It's all about location, location, location. And we are so lucky that we're next to the airport because we're about to fly all the way to Kentucky for our premiere flick of the week, Hillbilly Elegy. And I hope they serve good food on the plane. Based on the best-selling memoir by J.D. Vance, Hillbilly Elegy follows a Yale law student forced to return to his hometown of Ohio for a family emergency where he reflects on the three generations of family history and his own future. This film stars Amy Adams, Glenn Close, Gabriel Basso, Haley Bennett, Frida Pinto, Bo Hopkins and Owen as Talos. And is directed by the iconic Mr. Ron Howard. And written by Vanessa Taylor. There's one detail in this movie that I just need to talk about because I'm really stuck on it and I just need theories to flow back at me about why it exists. Okay. This new husband of the Amy Adams character, when he's showing JD around his new house, 
This guy has got a poster for the 1995 Martin Scorsese, Robert De Niro movie, Casino, hanging up on his wall. It's framed. It's a framed poster of Casino. What is up with that? (laughs) What is up with it? I don't know why. I'm worried I'm not going to get a restful night until I get the answer to this question. Okay. Um, I did not notice this, but I'm not at all surprised that you did. It's very prominent to me. I know what year 12 Susie would say to this. Do you know what I mean? Like if this is a year 12 English essay, I know it would be some sort of symbolism here for Mm -hmm. like the gamble that that life is. Oh, okay. A casino is a place where you go to gamble, so you head back there, so maybe it's kind of like the homecoming. Okay, homecoming. That is what year 12 Susie would say. But current day Susie would say if it's a 1995 film and this film was set in 1997, maybe it was just at the video store and they would have picked it up. (laughs) But then why did he frame it? That's what I need to know. He loved that movie. Okay. Well, you know, I guess I can relate to that character most of the film. (laughs) I too love Casino from 1995. Is Ron Howard friends with Martin Scorsese and Robert De Niro? Maybe it's a nod to his mate. Maybe they're like, i got to put a little note to my mate in this movie. (laughs) Maybe they all do it. Maybe throughout all of their movies they leave (laughs) these little Easter eggs for each other. Do we have to go back through all of cinema and discover this? My God, we're going back. We're seeing it all. It's unfolding Da Vinci Code style, Ron Howard style, (laughs) baby. That's it. This is the real secret out there. Now, I love Ron Howard, all the way from his bald head to his beautiful mind. He's a filmmaker that's been there probably my entire life that I've liked. He's that student of Steven Spielberg, that student of George Lucas, who's kind of continued on in their legacies. And he's become such a prolific director whose interest really seems to be in jumping between high-end genre pictures like Willow, Solo, A Star Wars Story, Cocoon. Love Cocoon. I knew that you would love Cocoon. Of course I love Cocoon. It's about a whole bunch of old people. I love it. That's the sooty sweet spot that she loves movies about oldies. <laughs> and, of course, like The Da Vinci Code and one of my least favorite movies of all time, The Grinch. I'm so sorry. I just never connected with that movie. <laughs> scares me too much. And prestige films that speak in some way or explore how individuals navigate through a certain point in history. I'm thinking of things like Parenthood, oh. Apollo 13, A Beautiful Mind, so Frost Nixon, and Cinderella Man. I think this is definitely a continuation of that tradition in his career. Can we just pause? for a moment to talk about parenthood. Absolutely. I can pause for any moment to talk about parenthood. Good, because this is one of the best family comedies in the history of cinema, that cast. Steve Martin, obviously. Mm-hmm. Mary Steenburgen. Love her. Diane Weiss. And you might say her name is Diane Weiss, but I say it like a Weiss bar. <laughs> Martha Plimpton, Keanu Reeves, and a very young Joaquin Phoenix. This is 1989. All I'm going to say, and I know I'm not going to take up, this is not about parenthood. <laughs> but we love parenthood. And we're talking about Ron Howard today. It's his other great family chronicle. It is. And if you go back and watch it, make sure you take a moment to really savour that speech by Grandma about the roller coaster. It's a classic. I love it. I made Alexi watch it about ten times. I love I love this movie. And if you want to know about Alexi's thoughts, mm. they're too rude to say <laughs> in the podcast, but you should DM him and ask him about parenthood. It's very good. I have a very specific Mary Steenburgen theory that I will never put on the record of this podcast. <laughs> now, before we get into it, I wanted to ask you about one of the techniques that Ron Howard uses that a lot of directors use in film when they're talking about multi-generational stories Mm. and that is time jumps so different directors approach it in different ways Mm. but let's talk about how Ron Howard does it in Hillbilly Elegy. There's a really like elegant technique that he uses at the start where we start at a younger point in J.D. Vance's life Mm -hmm. who I'm going to call Hillbilly Elliot from now on because it's much easier for me to remember (laughs) and we get that snapshot moment where the whole family comes together at the reunion. A literal snapshot. A 
individual snapshot where then we see that photo be taken, what that photo looks like, then a previous iteration of that photo from an earlier point in time. further back in time. And we see all these photos until they become black and white and look like, you know, frontiers people. And I think it's like a great little signifier that this movie is going to be this cross-generational thing. Mm -hmm. We're going to see this family at different points in time and how they connect and how they have like this great history together. And it kind of automatically starts speaking to the idea of like things passing through generations, that idea of generational trauma. And here in this film, it's a personal history, the story of three generations. And I'm always fascinated by these kind of movies because I grew up in a house with my mother and her mother, my yaya. And honestly, Glenn Close looks so much like my actual Yaya in this movie. She wore the exact same glasses. She had very similar hair. And just like the Glenn Close character would do absolutely anything for me I remember lying in bed sick and she'd come in and start crying saying shit like I wish I could take this sickness from you and put it on me and I'm just lying there feeling guilty because I'm faking trying to get out of school sport for the day (laughs) (laughs) but there's this scene in this film where his grandma divides up a meals on wheels dinner between them so he can eat it and just really got me got meals on wheels for Bonnie Vance thank you well, this, this isn't enough. I told him I got my grandson now. I'm sorry, ma'am. They only gave me the one. Well, I called. I'm sorry. That's all I've got. Look, uh, I'm spread a little thin right now. We do see this a lot, this generational conflict in film. Why do you think it comes up so often? What makes them so cinematic? For me, it kind of like captures that almost mythological feeling or the existential crisis of being in conflict with the people that brought you into this world and expressing like that idea of generational trauma attached to it. And it kind of does it through that idea of emotive cinema, melodramatic cinema, if you will. I think this is a bit of a mummy's boy movie, I'll say it. And, you know, I often say that I'm not a mummy's boy I have mother issues and this film gets to that feeling of the limits that test unconditional love he said some shit I got mad hit him it's not serious what was I supposed to do let him get hit by a car if he wasn't being such a little shit you've always got a reason it's always someone else's fault some point you're gonna have to take responsibility or someone else is gonna have to step in who huh who you Glenn Close delivers a performance that is uniquely both bonkers, accurate, and sensitive at the same time. Truly, I don't think there's another actor that could have pulled this off. She's maybe the only actor that is like uniquely equipped to play a character that feels like a real-life person that is exaggerated in a larger-than-life sort of way, while still feeling like they have an incredible depth and lived-in life experience to them. I totally agree. Glenn Close was insanely good in this movie. Mm. Apparently, she watched a whole bunch of old videotapes of the actual grandmother and members of the Vance family were on set, were so emotional seeing their recently passed away family member portrayed so accurately by Glenn Close. And the thing is, is that this woman was larger than life. Mm. So it's the real subject that she's playing and she does it so well. It really touched me because my grandmother was one of my favourite people Mm. in the world. She's one of the greatest people I've ever known. And whenever you see those grandmother characters that are fiercely protective of their grandkids, it just tears my heart out. It's so real. I love this monologue that she has. Good Terminator, bad Terminator, neutral Terminator. I think it's so funny that she's based her entire life philosophy around Terminator, but at the same time, it's just one of those hyper-specific details that you can really believe. Yeah, she's rough as guts, but she could not love that kid anymore. Look, 
I know that I messed up. I just, I've been trying really hard with Ken, but it just... It isn't easy, and... I promise that I'm gonna do better, but I can't lose my job, baby. Now, Amy Adams. Amy, sweet, sweet Amy Adams. Amy Adams is another one of those actors who I've really adored and followed their career since the first time I saw her, which was Steven Spielberg's Catch Me If You Can. Don't start down this path because you're obsessed with that movie. I love that movie. And I think she often portrays really fascinating characters that often have to grapple with their timidness mm. or fight through being shy or being timid or being perceived as timid, like in Doubt, where she plays a very chaste nun who fights for her morals despite having a lower status in the hierarchy of her church. But here in Hubley Elegy, it's something different, and it's kind of like this surprising, transformative performance from Amy Adams. She really began her ascent into movie stardom with this good girl persona. She's worked to shed, in a way, through really interesting work. I think this is the most I've ever felt like I've lost her in a role, and I think that's something new from her. Yeah, I forgot that it was Amy Adams about two seconds into the movie, which I think is a really good sign. And the thing I love <laughs> Maybe about- not for your mental health, but for the movie <laughs> it is. But I love that Amy Adams is the kind of person who can have a year like... In 2010, she went from the rom-com of the leap year mm-hmm. to the gritty like Boston movie The Ooh, Fighter, Almost with that love. documentary feel about it as exactly. well. Exactly, and she nailed both of them. She's excellent in this. But I have to do a little shout-out to Hayley Bennett. Now, mm-hmm. I don't know if you know this, Hayley Bennett plays JD's sister Lindsay in Hillbilly Elegy and it's a really subtle, very impressive performance in mm, my eyes. I agree. I could not shake the feeling that I had seen her before and I couldn't pinpoint it, so mm. I did a little bit of digging. Me too. I'm <laughs> curious to find out what you've uncovered. So, I mean, I did a little bit of digging means I literally Googled it. <laughs> hey, that's how I dig as well, so. Do you remember the movie Music and Lyrics? Yes, Drew Barrymore, Hugh Grant. Of course you do, because I it's know a movie Harry in the world, movie. of course you have seen it. <laughs> So she plays Cora Corman, who is like that uh, that pop the star pop character. Star. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's her? That's her. Wow. How far she's come as well. Yes, she has. I, I don't know, Lindsay. What? I could drive 10 hours to this thing and not even get the job. Or you could. But it just doesn't feel right. I wouldn't feel good leaving here to deal with all this shit. Don't make us your excuse, J.D. I'll be honest, I don't think this is my favourite Ron Howard movie, but I do think that it delivers those big end-of-year prestige drama needs with big noteworthy performances from some of our most beloved actors. You're listening to The Big Film Buffet, and if you want to continue listening to The Big Film Buffet, you can follow it on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts to make sure you get those new episodes as soon as they drop every single Tuesday. You can comment, rate, review, and tell your friends about this podcast so they can enjoy a couple of mates talking about the most important art form in the history of mankind, movies on streaming. Streaming cinema. We have come to the time in our meal where we must cleanse our palates. We're joined by producer Michael to play our game called Film or Movie. Susie, how does this game work? Alexi, let me ask you that very same question. (laughs) (laughs) Well, allow me to explain it then. This is a game where Michael brings us a title and we must debate whether it is either a film or a movie. Now, a film, of course, is an artistic expression and a movie is good old time at the picture house. Entertainment, popcorn, fluff. Yeah, exactly. That kind of thing. Yeah. Something that everyone can enjoy. So, producer Michael, which motion picture do you have for us today? (laughs) 
<laughs> did I go a little bit Catherine Hepburn? <laughs> yeah, you did. Very transatlantic. The motion picture <laughs> I've brought for you today is another intergenerational family classic. It is Meet the Parents. Oh, oh you got a good one. This is a good one. Okay. Meet the Parents. Hey, you're going to meet me? You're going to come over here and you're going to meet me? The parents? You're going to meet the parents like over here? You're going to meet the parents? I wish this was a video because it was so beautiful. <laughs> Are you meeting me? Are you going to meet me? When it's all about Meet the Parents, I would say, for the reason I just impersonated, it's a film. It stars Robert De Niro. Oh, Lord help me. <laughs> the greatest film star of all time, Robert De Niro. Okay, and for that same reason, I would say it is a movie because Ben Stiller is in it. <laughs> okay, Ben Stiller alongside Owen Wilson, the stars of one of the great family chronicle films of all time, The Royal Tenenbaums. Yes, but they're also in A Night at the Museum, Starsky and Hutch, <laughs> Zoolander, Toolander. Come on, man. <laughs> okay, well then let me go down another route here. I am going to say that this is a film because it deals with those tenuous issues. It's almost like a reverse edible thing. It's about a father who is obsessed with a man that his daughter is marrying. He is not worthy of her. Only he is worthy to be the man in her life. That's what this movie is all about. Daddy issues. Okay. Alexei Toliopoulos, mm-hmm. answer me truthfully. Yes. Promise that you will. I have put my hand on the copy of the thing that is most sacred to me, a Blu-ray copy of Meet the Parents and Meet the Fockers. Okay. I will answer you honestly. All right. When Michael said that the title of the motion picture was Meet the Parents, what is the first thing that went into your head? What is the first thing that came into your head? I have a nipple squared. Can you milk me? <laughs> okay, you win. It's a movie. I will declare it. It's a movie. I'm on your side now. Michael? It's a movie. <laughs> it also has a scene where Cat learns how to flush the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, then I stand corrected. This is a piece of cinematic history. A film indeed. I'm hesitating to say this next part because of how much emotion it's going to stir in me, but I will say it anyway. If you want more of the emotional family saga, mm-hmm. then we recommend Lion. Do you have any idea what it's like knowing my real brother? and mother spent every day of their lives looking for me. Dev Patel stars as an Indian man who was separated from his mother at age five and adopted by an Australian couple. As an adult, he then makes it his life's mission to find his birth mother. I am actually shaking Mm. about this movie. This story was based on a true story and it is unbelievably moving. It had all the ingredients already to make an amazing film, but the performances in this were phenomenal. So mm. the first shout-out has to go to the child actor, Sonny Power, who is amazing. One of the realest performances. So good. Nicole Kidman knocks it out of the park, and then there is the beautiful Dev Patel. Dev Patel is incredible in this film. This is such a gorgeously made film, mm. really emotive cinematography and sublimely edited. I've been a huge Dev Patel fan since back in the day with Skins, so seeing him ascend to adult leading man of really exciting cinema with this film feels so right to me. I really do think this is one of the finest Australian films in recent years. This was one of the first films I was ever sent out to review professionally, oh, wow. and I remember watching it just absolutely drenched in tears. 
and I've been championing it ever since. I was the same. I saw it in the cinema with my sister and we were at points just holding each other uncontrollably crying. We, When we left the cinema, the woman that was sitting in front of us just turned around and gave me a packet of tissues and patted me on the shoulder. So all I will say is it's a lot. You need to prepare yourself, but if you can handle the kind of raw emotion and turmoil that this film brings, the payoff is massive and it is so worth it. Watching Hillbilly Elegy, this was the movie that it reminded me of most. I think it's kind of become, at least in Australia, like one of the strong movies that like conjures so many like deep emotions of like that experience of feeling that you need to find your place in the world and to understand your future, you need to go back and find your past. If you have seen this movie before and because it's so emotional, you find it hard to rewatch, here's an excuse to do it. There is a director's cut of this film that I think is even better than the theatrical version that is worth tracking down. But there's so many movies in this genre that we could recommend. Obviously, Parenthood is a favourite. <laughs> and we've said enough about it already on this podcast. <laughs> it's a great movie. Also, Kramer versus Kramer, if you want something a little bit more classic from the 1970s. Dustin Hoffman, Meryl Streep. Yes, that scene where they scoop the ice cream. Oh, oh my Lord, I can't watch it. Oh my gosh, and one more film. I know we're giving you a lot today, but mm. The Farewell <gasps> is one of the most beautiful films I've seen in the last few years. I cannot recommend it enough. It's a great movie. Aquafina is incredible in it, and I think Lulu Wang is going to be one of the mega directors of the next few decades. All right, Susie, let's look at our menu for today. What did we have as our starter? We had The Castle. And as our main, we had Hillbilly Elegy. And then we drank up our tears with a bit of lion for dessert. Mm. Susie, arrivederci. Uh, ciao for now. <laughs> if you want to hear more from me talking about movies, you can head over to the podcast Total Reboot, where me and Cameron James talk about reboots, remakes, and ripoffs in cinema. And we're funny while we do it, much like this podcast. <laughs> and if you do like this podcast, why don't you come back next week when we are talking about David Fincher's Mank. This episode was created by our podcast family. It was written and hosted by Alexi Toliopoulos and me, Susie Youssef, produced by Michael Sun and Anu Hasbold, edited by Jeffrey O'Connor and executive produced by Tony Broderick and Melanie Marnie. 